Welcome to episode 49 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and I'm joined once again by my very favourite stable genius, Darren Hill. And Darren, uh, how you been enjoying the playoffs so far? Because it's been a couple of weeks since we last spoke. My brain is full of information, Daz. I, uh, it's been a long time coming. You know, like you've it sort of feels like you've you've ever take one of those gigantic cross the Pacific flights to, you know, to the U.S. or something, 15 and a half hours, and you don't get up from your chair. Yeah. That's I've got sort of that feeling like I've been in my in my comfortable window seat for 15 and a half hours. And now I'm absolutely busting. So, um, yes, much, much ground to cover, Daz. Well, it's been so much better. We did speak about this, didn't we? There's been so much better of playoffs this year than last year. And part of that, obviously, has been the fact that uh, there's been the, – the teams involved this year are a lot more healthy. Last year, so many teams went down with um, pretty bad injuries, unfortunately. But this year, generally speaking, the teams have... Uh, and it's good to hear you crack one in the background, get ready for a long Top session. Top of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so it, this year, but in general, the teams have been much, much more healthy. There's been a few injuries here and there. Obviously, Boston have been hurt with injuries, um, the Spurs and others. But... Uh, generally speaking, it's been much better, and, and the basketball has been much better. Uh, there's been some really close games. We've already had, I think, Cleveland have been involved in five or six absolute classic games that we'll, we'll touch on, including um, a great game today, or at least a great finish to the game today. So, Daz, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to go through where we stand with all these different playoff series at the moment in the East and the West, start in the East and then move over to the West, and then we're going to look back further to uh, round one and sort of see how we got here and, and talk a little bit about what happened in round one, given that we haven't spoken uh, since we did our initial previews. But let's let's talk first about Toronto-Cleveland. Cleveland's gone 3-0 up now. I, th- I thought after game one that the Cavs were going to sweep this series, but I was impressed at least with the way that Toronto fought the game out today. They were down 17, came back and obviously tied it late, and then LeBron James hit one of the most ridiculous game-winning shots that I've ever seen. But were your thoughts on today's game first, and then I guess branch out into the series as a whole? Look, we might have to, um, you know, if you put a timer on our discussion of this, this series, you might need a calendar to measure it down. There's just so many stories, angles, the fans, the history, um, the, you know, the lineups, the stars who've been riding the bench, the, the young guys stepping up. It's just the storylines are many days. So just uh, as a quick refresher. Yeah. So you just hinted today. We've we're recording this one after game three. So game yes. three, which is the, the unbelievable LeBron play at the end, which was just preceded by the OG Ananobi um, what was the stone cold, cold hearted, <laughs> cold blooded, cold blooded um, three, which tied the game. So awesome for OG to be stepping up, but his head is hard ripped out, you know, basically eight seconds later. Um, so, right. Where to begin? Um, so game one was a rock fight. I think both teams were. I think sort of Cleveland probably played down to Toronto. Toronto was a bit nervy. Cleveland was bleep and exhausted. Toronto had five days off, I think. And Cleveland only had the two days off. And Cleveland had that seven-game series against Indiana. So you could see it. They were dragging. Cleveland was bloody tired. And LeBron shot something like 12 for 30 from the floor Mm. and one for six from the free-throw line. He was not goat guy, but considering the, the grueling effort he put in to get him over the line against Indiana, pretty damn good effort, right? He still had a triple-double and, you know, get hit 12 shots. Um, it's a pretty decent all-around game, but not by his standards, well, in game two and game three. Mm-hmm. So game one, famously, the big story, which you have we have to talk about, because for me it sort of framed the whole series. This was the game where Toronto led by 14, 15 after one quarter, and it sort of frittered the lead away. And then the fourth quarter was a dogfight. Um, Toronto had a bit of a safe lead for a lot of the quarters. Well, they had the like, double-figure lead for most of the did. game, actually. Like, Cleveland would they make did. little runs, then they'd get it back out. And you always felt like Cleveland had one more run in them in that fourth quarter and could uh, Toronto withhold that. that That's and, right. And generally, <laughs> they, they came, obviously, very close to doing so, but just sort of Cleveland just had enough time to get them back in the end. That's right. So it was basically it was a three-point game. This was true, true crunch time the last four minutes of the game. 
this is the game right where um, everyone's heard it a hundred times, but they missed their Toronto missed their last eleven shots, and I don't have the shot charts in front of me, but I bet five of them were inside the um, inside the restricted zone. They had well, to and be I tips. think they honestly that that was probably on four possessions. Yeah, that's right, because Valanciunas was playing basically um, volleyball with himself on different possessions, mm. and he just he missed not only tippins but some. You know, I, I give some credit to Toronto. I think they played a really smart game, feeding Valanciunas. He had he had 19 shot attempts and got nine free throws, 21 rebounds. They're like, you know what? They're going to play love at the center. We're going to attack with Big V, and he did. He just couldn't get some really. He just couldn't finish a couple of shots around the rim, and he could just see this game went to overtime, right? He just he clutched to the floor at the end of regulation, you know, because again another layup had just rolled off the rim that he'd shot. Uh, he clutched the floor like, you know, holding his head in his hands, and he just sort of felt like that was the moment for them. Well, FVV, and, the, on that last shot, FVV put up a three. Oh, a three. Missed, yeah. And then yeah. DeRozan got the rebound. I don't know why DeRozan went, sort of shot it straight away. I think he, I don't think he realized how much time he had left. I think had he have known, he might have taken the rebound down and then gone back up. Maybe you get fouled. Maybe you put the shot back in. And the shot was halfway down, Daz, as you probably saw, and then came yeah. out. Then Valanciunas gets the rebound. He puts up what is just an, an easy little bunny, and he—he, he do, I don't even think he hit the rim. It went went completely off to the side, and that was once that happened, you knew that's that's it. That's their chance to win a win the game in this series. And you they felt it. just blew yeah. like they they called the time. They called their last timeout. I think before two minutes to go, or it was, it was certainly one of their last timeouts with about 10 seconds left on the shot clock and then couldn't get the ball in bounds and had a five-second violation. So just a complete waste of a timeout. There was just little mistakes like that. that oh, they that was a backbreaker. I forgot about that one. Down the yeah. stretch of that game uh, that really came back to bite them. And, of course, LeBron... Uh, again, made a ridiculous fadeaway over Ananobi to actually tie the game um, that led to that JV, uh, if, um, Fred Van Vliet three-point attempt right at the end of regulation. Uh, and then Cleveland came out in, in overtime and J.R. Smith and Corville were both really good. I think J.R. Smith shot five or six from three, tw- 20 points in this game. So he was really good. And they hit a couple of threes to get, and they just got that lead up and then Toronto couldn't quite get it back. Um, despite Van Vliet having a reasonable look, I thought, for a three right at the end uh, to tie it up again. Yeah. So ironically, right, so Cleveland was gassed. Um, Kevin Love was three for 13. He looked awful at seven points in 34 minutes. LeBron, I was just saying, right, scored, was 12 for 30, missed five of his six free throws. This was the game to win. So this was the game Toronto had to have. And the the point about going so, I think, going so deep back to on the biggest part of this was then you start to wonder about the mindset the mindset creeping in right and the the way Valentinus body language was at the end of regulation I literally don't even remember what happened in overtime other than that Lowry five second call overtime was a bit innocuous it just didn't feel again it was a one point game but I, I don't even remember feeling like the game was in the balance in overtime I think Cleveland ran out to a, they scored the first four points and just it was just kind of a grind um, it was an eight to seven overtime. So that was the game Toronto had to have. The point I'm getting to is that Casey made his famous comments about them having the yips. And when your head coach comes out publicly and um, and names it, I think that's a horrible look. You're supposed to go out and we know you're going to lie, but lie to us anyway. The coach is supposed to be the one that feeds us the, the good news story. So his team hears it and he didn't. He goes and calls it. And it's like, we know they had the yips. We know they were short. We know it. You know it. Everyone who watched that game knows that the whole – everyone in the arena certainly know it because they were holding their breath the last 20 minutes of the game. You just don't come out and say that, right? And for me, that was really important because that we wanted to see, okay, how can Casey rebound? I think you and I have been talking about for about four months as well. How can they rebound for game two, and how will Casey handle his rotations? It's will he stick well, with this deep – Mm-hmm. I thought they I thought they rebounded okay in game two. I mean, what I saw in game two was they came out, the game was played completely on their terms. 
Uh, Kyle Lowry was seven for seven from the field in the first half. They got whatever they wanted at the rim. They were just attacking the rim, playing with pace. That's what they needed to do, and that's what they sort of went away from in the fourth quarter of game one. They went away from the fast-paced style, and they looked around at half time, and they were only leading by two. And you thought they're in trouble here. And I think as they as the crowd sort of came and took their seats, and many of them were late back to their seats. The game was over by the time they got back to their seats because Cleveland came out and went on a 12-2 run to start the third quarter. And all of a sudden, it was deer in the headlights again for the Raptors. It was. It was the first two minutes. It wasn't even – it was 12-2. It was 8 nothing. Yep. It was a – and it was bad decision. And late two, two badly missed shots and two turnovers, and Cleveland scored in every possession. And it's like suddenly that just turned Cleveland's engine on. And that, that's what began LeBron James's uh, fire-breathing dragon greatest, uh, greatest of all time quarter, where this is the game, right? He's hit these unbelievable 20-foot fadeaways with the ball arcing literally 16 feet in the air and dropping in over the left shoulder, over the right shoulder. He hit seven, he hit seven mid-range fadeaways in the second half. Like a, a game two on the road against a one-seed. So he just... He got it going, right? And when he got it going, what was Zach Lowe's? Zach Lowe had that awesome tweet that said, LeBron James is literally experimenting with incredibly difficult shots on the road in the playoffs against a one seed. You know, unbelievable. It was, it was because LeBron in game one, which was gassed and um, had barely anything in the tank. And as you were saying, they got bailed out by some Jeff Green was draining three pointers in game one. Right, so Jeff Green, in many ways, kind of saved or kind of kickstarted the series, and they felt blood, smelled blood in the water, and then that was it. LeBron's like, I have it. He just, you could just see there was no way they were going to stop him. So game two, you're right, it was a pretty good first half, and then it was an absolute evisceration. And that's when I saw it was about halfway through that third quarter when Cleveland built that lead, started to get up to. Um, so they had the first quick 8-0 run in the third, and then uh, Casey decides to go small, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes small, and what happens? Three possessions in a row. They're like, all right, they do a switch, get C.J. Miles defending Kevin Love, and boom, ball gets set into Kevin Love. And right, the four Cleveland Cavaliers, the offensive line, just standing around like, do-do-do-do-do, you know, looking at their fingernails, you know, whistling. And Kevin Love, boom, truck C.J. Miles, boom, truck C.J. Miles. And then you could see. You could see in the background, so the lead went from 8 to 14 very quickly. And and Dwayne Casey whirls around and throws himself into the seat. So he didn't standing up on the sidelines, highly engaged, you know, shouting out at his team playing defense, and he goes and throws himself into into the chair. It was, you know, the camera caught it in full, in full effect. And that, for me, was my two glimpses of Dwayne Casey and his temperament is calling out his team, having the yips after game one, and then he's the one making the lineup adjustments to, the, to Cleveland's lineup, and they're getting trucked, as you'd expect, when Kevin Love um, is in the game. Like, who's going to defend him? And who's going to defend LeBron? And Cleveland's doing what they do and taking advantage of the mismatches, and suddenly that lead is up to 14, and just the, the energy just drained out of the entire arena. And I, I hated the fact that he, it looked like he was so frustrated or so exasperated or like he was losing to a chess master, right? Like he just had a sense that he, a sense of defeat about him, the way he threw himself on the bench. And that was, the game was never close. They never recovered. They never got close. And it was a, right, started resting people in the fourth quarter. So that for me is what the two Casey moments for me also colored how game three went down. Well, just quickly on so, the game too. Please so what, do. What he did, or what he said afterwards was he was looking for pace in, in, that, in those smaller lineups. So he was actually looking for um, the, them to shoot. I, I think he was thinking, if we come yep. on and hit three threes in a row, we can get back into this game and then we can go big again. But I just think he got it completely wrong. I think he, and, and as soon as, you've got to be able to react, respond quickly. And we saw this in the Indiana series earlier where Nate McMillan wasn't quick enough with some of his responses when Cleveland will go on these runs. You've got to get your lineups right against this team. And when you when you get a lineup wrong the way he did, and they obviously missed a few shots, they turned it instead of attacking the rim the way they were in the first half, playing with pace, they're now just trying to shoot threes without much passing and ball movement. 
that's playing in the Cleveland's hands. So Cleveland were able to, uh, you know, as you say, build a lead from eight to fourteen very, very quickly, um, and that very much, I think fed into game three today where the Raptors started poorly again, Daz. They did. That's right. Um, so how did this... So game three... Uh, yeah, just, oh, sorry. So this was a slow one, right? This was a bit of a... This was a slugfest from the start. Well, the, the Raps defended much better in this game, in general. Um, and, and they actually kept Cleveland to 24 points in the first up, first quarter, but they couldn't score themselves. I, I, the game could have been over at the end of the first quarter, right? It started off, I think, 16-4, to four, if I'm not mistaken. Cleveland's, yep. I think Toronto had five points with about five minutes left or four minutes and left in the first quarter. And were missing just open mid like they floaters, were. So Hubie, layups. Hubie, Hubie, Brown, Hubie Brown was the voice of reason. So I was listening to the ESPN um, uh, telecast, and Hubie was like, look, you have to trust the process here. They're actually getting good looks. And he goes, they're actually fighting. He goes, I hope Toronto just keeps their head about them and keeps going at it. Because what they're, he goes, actually what they're doing is working. These just shots just aren't, they're not going down. But it was also one and done. So the shots weren't going down and they weren't getting any second chance points. So again, Kevin Love has been playing, he's pretty terrible in game one, but Kevin Love was great again today, certainly on the on the glass. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I guess he's been, a, he's been a great rebounder for a long time, but... He's been he's been you know pretty close to vintage Kevin Love, so I thought that was a big factor early on, and then um, then Cleveland started get, getting going in the in the second quarter, and had a what was the lead at halftime, Daz? It was a pretty healthy lead, was it? Thirteen. Uh, it was fifteen yeah. at halftime. Fifteen points. They ended at the first half yeah. on a eighteen to two run, so Toronto had actually got it back. Uh, or oh, sorry, sixteen to two run. They'd got it back to a point. And then uh, Cleveland just went on another run uh, right at the end of the first half. So what we saw though was more. Um, we saw some more uh, more minutes for Ananobi, which is again sort of the you know the ringer sort of writing its um, uh, uh, writing the gravestone, the headstone for Cleveland after Game Two was like, why we didn't we get more Ananobi and Siakam, and, and Ananobi Ibaka, you know, sort of getting these bigger. You know, the bigger lineups against LeBron at least get someone and not let him just get layup after layup. And Ananobi played a hell of a game today. Um, so we saw that in the second half. And then, so I saw all the thir- the first three quarters, Daz. So I'm going to have to turn it over to you. I didn't see much of the fourth quarter up until the last couple of minutes when I got back to my, um, back to the telecast and seen, seen the last couple of possessions and, of course, the miracle shot. So I might flip it back to you to talk about how to – how the hell did Toronto actually get some of the energy to get back in the game? Well, it was, and they had, the, yeah, yeah. Well, it was funny, Daz, because it was one of those games where you 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 keep seeing the score, and Toronto would make these little mini runs, and they'd get it back to nine, or they'd get it back to seven, and then they'd just play sloppy basketball. And to, and DeRozan was terrible by his own admission today. He had a very very poor game, uh, and to his credit, he wasn't bitching after the game for being sat on the bench because he just played poorly, uh, and. It was just one of those games that kept me hooked just enough where I thought, Toronto is still in this. If they can just maintain good basketball for more than you know, three, four-minute stretches, they're going to be right in this. And, I, and the thing I liked about what they were doing too was LeBron was was scoring, but they were making him work for his points. He was Every working hard. He was yep. working today, and that's what they didn't do in game two. So I thought... I'm not. I'm not convinced he's going to just go and start shooting jump shots the way he did uh, in the in the third and fourth quarters of game two, and he didn't. He, he missed a few shots. Uh, he certainly was by no means playing poorly, but he wasn't shooting as well. And he was a little. I thought he was a little bit tired. Um, he passed off a few times when he possibly could have gone to the rim uh, in the fourth quarter. But it wasn't so much on the defense. It was more on the offensive end. And they were just aggressive, Daz. Uh, Ibaka came out and played his best quarter of the of the playoffs so far, mm. and certainly of this series. Uh, and I, when he was first out there, I thought, oh, why is, why is Dwayne Casey sticking with Ibaka? But he had a few blocks. He had one block that, that they called a foul, which really was a clean block on LeBron. So they got a, Cleveland got a few calls, but you expect that from being the home team. You're going to get a little bit of home cooking from the referees. Uh, but So the, the Raptors, though, to their credit, didn't didn't let anything phase them either in that last quarter. And they just kept coming. And, and Anobi hit a, few, hit a couple of threes. He was playing really good defense at the other end. Uh, Van Vliet 
didn't shoot the ball well, but was least distributing. I thought Larry was sensational. Uh, Kyle Larry scored 13 points, uh, I think, in the end in the fourth quarter. So he was outstanding. Uh, and uh, CJ Miles hit a couple of shots as well. So they just they started to make shots. They were aggressive attacking the rim. They got some stops at the other end. It was nothing... And, and it wasn't like they made one big run, Daz. It was just like a sustained quarter, a really good quarter of basketball from them. And it wasn't even like Cleveland were playing terrible. Um, it was just they implemented their will on the game and the game was played on their terms. And therefore, they were able to win the quarter by, in the end, by 12 points. But of course, they were up by 14 points in the quarter until LeBron James took over uh, with that ridiculous last shot. I mean... It, just to, to set the scene on that last shot, so Toronto would come back, they made it, they brought him the four-point game, and then Cleveland would get the three, he'd be back out the seven. And then they finally made one last concerted run. Uh, Jeff Green hits one of two at the line, and Anobi hits a, th- a huge three. He was just outstanding all game for Toronto. And then there's eight seconds left. And then Ty Lu, uh made the call to actually inbound from the baseline at least that's what LeBron James tells us so we take LeBron at his word there talk us through what you saw from that point Daz I didn't realize that but you're, you're right and now, now that you mentioned it I'm so you're so accustomed to the time up getting the ball advanced at the front court it did it took it out underneath the baseline 90 94 how long is the court 94 feet <laughs> I've just oh, he's he's saying 90 feet <laughs> 90 feet I think it's 90 feet it was um uh, there's nothing everyone's already seen it a hundred times it was vintage lebron who just sort of trots up the court and i suppose that's the logic behind it right it's make sure he has um the wind at his uh, the wind at his back right he sort of gets going downhill and inexplicably again inexplicably toronto doesn't doesn't double him doesn't make him pass doesn't make him make a decision again the the, the player who's been ripping the hearts out of the franchise for what, this is now the 10th consecutive victory in the playoffs against him? And this this player, of all players, that's the part of I didn't like about this play. Well, and LeBron, the full of course, made this put them off a bit again, though, I think. Sorry to interrupt, but the, 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 the full court yeah. put them off a bit because they were ready to trap, and then it's a full court, and then there was a bit of confusion whether LeBron or George Hill was going to get it, and then... LeBron got it, and there was a slight hesitation because I think Siakam was going to go was on there, double team. But, but wait, remind me, was there a timeout? They called the a timeout, yeah. So Cleveland, call, Cleveland called their thought, last yeah, timeout, so and then they said they deliberately made the decision to take the ball in from the um, from the baseline. Correct. Rather than advance it. And then that, that put Toronto off, and then when there was a bit of confusion, and I think even within the Cavs there was confusion whether George Hill was going to actually get the ball first or LeBron. Then LeBron took it. Siakam sort of hesitated for a split second whether to go and double team or not, because I'm not sure if he, he knew who was getting the ball. And don't forget, they're well, surrounded the, the court with exactly. shooters. So you, it's hard to... And LeBron always makes that right pass. So it's hard to make that decision. And then by the time Siakam did get there, LeBron's already gone. He's running downhill towards the basket. Yeah, but again, that's, but that's it's a perfect case in point. The point we keep making about Casey is that he is reactive to how Cleveland plays. So Cleveland basically dictates the lineup, dictates the style of play, then he responds with his best lineup. And by the time he responds, Cleveland's on to the next thing. That's what it feels like mm. constantly, just as you've, you've just sort of outlined that final play, is, you know what, he's a grown-up. He can see that the referee is handing the ball to the player underneath the basket. Well, so I don't know if they had timeouts or not, but they then no draw timeouts. something up. Shout out a – they had no time, so shout or, you know – Yell. Well, the only play was to, to trap LeBron. That was that was the defensive play, essentially. Make him pass the trap ball. LeBron. Right? How about make... How about, well, they said that. In the huddle, it. they said, make anyone else boo this other than LeBron. And then they got thrown. And it is hard to trap someone in the backcourt, because there's obviously a lot of room, particularly a guy like LeBron. Um, to trap him in the backcourt is a lot harder than, than I'm in the I'm not saying trying court. to trap. You'll never, you're not going to trap him. Just make him. Just make him pass it. That's all. Just, you know, send a second defender up at him, you know, when he's just past the half-court line, and make him pass the ball. Yeah, and yes, you're right, it's hard to rotate. Because so you've got to leave but a shooter what, to right? do it's that. eight, seven, six, five, four, yeah. So, you're going right. to leave Kevin Pick Love, your you're going to leave guess, right? Kyle Corby, you're going to leave George Hill or J.R. Smith. 
that's that's tough right. as well. Like, give them the wide open look to win the All game. Right. Let the greatest player in history. Okay, and if you look at twelve footer, look at the degree of difficulty on the shot. You'd almost, if you're Dwayne Casey, say, you know what, I'll live with that. Like if you double him, it's going to be a wide open shot for one of those great shooters, and he just hits that shot. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a picky poison. (laughs) Like how ridiculous was that shot? It was. It was beautiful. It was unbelievable. (laughs) It was felt like the game three was just this floating, you see, he went to his left, right? So good defense by Ananobi, forces him that way. LeBron jumps off of one leg, falling out of bounds, right? It just, it just delicately hits the glass and hits nothing but net, right? And the net basically, like, I felt like the net was made of confetti. That's what it felt like, right? The ball just falls through perfectly, splash, right? And, of course, there's no time left on the clock. There's not even a point three. You know, there's nothing. That's it, it was oh. virtuoso. So you look fair enough. That was an extraordinarily difficult shot. So fair call, right? Very fair play. I just go. You know, would I want my coaching lifestyle um, banked on a J.R. Smith three-pointer with two seconds left, or LeBron James going to the basket? So <laughs> I know I know where my money's at. Make J.R. Smith pass it. You're only going to have time for one pass. Um, so, but anyway. Well, you could make a highlight uh, reel of LeBron's. Uh, game winners this year, which would make very impressive viewing. I, I'm sh- I'm shaking my head. You could make a highlight reel from these last two games, right? So you do feel a bit for Toronto. They've been pounding their chests since December. They've been bitching at the referees since before December. Um, obviously, I think the the you know the question was how much inside their heads was Cleveland inside of Toronto's heads. Well, if they weren't before today, they will be now. Um, so the reality, right, is they've lost two one-point games and got completely blown out, right? So there's a couple of bounces here or there in Toronto could easily. They could be – it's funny, right? On paper, it looked like they could be up two games to one, but, again, that first overtime never felt in the balances. It felt like Toronto blew it in regulation, but it felt like Cleveland had control the entire first overtime. Mm, I agree. And then it took an, un- it took an Ananobi, an awesome, right? Super, super clutch three-pointer with eight seconds left by a, by a rookie, right? Just to tie the game in this one. So they were still kind of right. They just couldn't get over the hump today. So whilst it was a, a sorry, two-point game today, obviously the game was tied when LeBron hit his shot. It sort of feels like Cleveland's had a bit of control, hasn't it? It feels like they've kind of controlled they controlled the series since overtime. Oh, look, I one, think basically. if Toronto take game one, it's a completely different series. Obviously, I agree. That, that's the state of leading the obvious. But, um, mm. And I feel, I'm, I guess I'm a bit more they need- higher on yeah. Toronto. I'm not I'm not as willing to panic for them. I think they've come closer this time than they did last time. They've got the third youngest team in the playoffs this year. Uh Ananobi, I think, is going to be a star, Daz. And I'm not talking about an all-star. I think he has the potential to be Kawhi Leonard-like superstar in this league because he's not only got the three-point shooting already, so he's already a better shooter than Kawhi was as a rookie. He's already a better defender than Kawhi was as a rookie. Now, he maybe doesn't have the the um, off-the-dribble sort of uh, play that Kawhi might have had coming out of college, but he's not too bad. I mean, today, and, and this is one of the things that DeRozan kept doing, he'd see LeBron at the the rim and he was passing off. And it's like, well, LeBron, yes, he's, he's a good shot blocker, but he's not what you'd call a, a, a boost of a rim protector. And really, you should be challenging him there if, if for nothing, no other reason to try and get him to pick up a few flat fouls. Well, in the fourth quarter today, Ananobi took it in there and saw LeBron there and he just didn't give a fuck. He's just straight up there in LeBron's face, and LeBron tried to take a charge. Didn't the refs didn't call it, and Ananobi got the rebound and put it back in, and that that impressed me. I thought this this kid just has no fear in any any stage of the game, and I thought even though LeBron scored thirty eight, and, well, and a lot of it was well, yeah. actually not a lot of it was on him. They were switching a lot, and LeBron was getting Sergio Miles on him, and I didn't understand why, and and. The switches were slow. They weren't quick switches. And I don't understand why Ananobi didn't just go to LeBron and, and Miles to go to Corver because they were fairly close. Yeah. A lot of times, Ananobi would just let it go and then LeBron goes, well, CJ Miles doesn't worry me. 
So, but I thought that was a mark of respect to Ananobi that that you know LeBron's sitting there wanting to get a pick and roll to get Ananobi off him. How many rookies would LeBron be worried about um, guarding him? Ananobi's averaging thirty minutes a game right in the in this series, and he averaged twenty minutes a game in the entire regular season. So he is he is stepping up on the biggest stage. He's shot almost six for thirteen from downtown, from three-point land in the series, and that if you watch, you replay that shot that he hit at the with eight seconds left, he is as cool as the other side of the pillow. Mm. If he, he catches the ball on the wing and just calmly does a nice, really great ball fake, defender goes fine, and he just kind of steps back, boom, and drains it from the wing. So it's kind of a semi-transition. I think it was a missed free throw, wasn't it? Yep. And um, he just drills it. Very calm ball fake all very much in, in rhythm and in motion. And, you know, it was, again, there's nine, ten seconds left, so he could have easily been, you know, with uh, you know let the moment be too big for him and pass the ball or taken a quick shot or something. But, no, absolutely in control. So I don't know. I'm not going to get into the prognostication like that, but I, I hear what you're trying to say, that he is already proving he's a credible 3 and D player already at age 20. And this is a guy who, again, didn't play a ton, Okay, 20 minutes a game in the regular season is pretty good for a rookie, to be fair, but he's going to have some big moments. You can see it, mm-hmm. which starts to big once once we write the um, the obituary on Toronto's season. And if you hear other um, other pundits had already been doing it after game two, um, Sharp and Gulliver uh, amongst them basically saying, look, we might, I'm, I'm going to push pause on that anyway. Oh, Ananobi has a great future. He looked spectacular today, played great defense even on that last possession. He'll have to learn how to get to the line. He'll have to learn how to attack the rim. He'll have to learn a whole bunch of stuff. But, I'm, yeah, you love what you see. But there's no silver linings. I mean, that's, that is interesting. That's nice. But there's 0% chance Toronto fans are thinking about OGM. Well, let's today. see. I mean, if LeBron does leave the Cavs and leave the conference, then maybe they'll, they'll have a little bit more um, faith. But he's going to be a year older next year as well. So I wouldn't be panicking too much if I'm Toronto. I mean, I'm hearing reports, uh, we need to fire Dwayne Casey, you know, do they move on from DeRose? And I wouldn't be panicking too much just yet, but I guess we'll leave the the, um, the prognostications about uh, Toronto's future to down the track, um, you know, in, in coming weeks when they're at their season is over. Let's let's go look back quickly, Daz, at the first round series that both of these teams were in and Particularly, I want to talk about um, the Cavs Pacers series because that was the, the series that we focused on. And I might point out, we, we gave the Pacers a realistic chance of winning that series. And I listened to a lot of podcasts and everyone said, oh, look, it might be competitive, but there's no way the Pacers can win. Well, the Pacers mm. not only could have won that series, I'd make an argument they should have won that series. But a little bit of inexperience in the end, uh, and of course the great blow of LeBron James at different stages in the, in the um, series, as well as some ridiculous series from Kyle Korver in Game 4, really did get Cleveland over the hump here in a great seven-game series. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to read my notes from, from Game 1 of, of Indiana-Cleveland. Indiana came ready to play. Cleveland didn't. Indiana defended the perimeter. Cleveland didn't. Indiana got contributions from many of its professional players. Cleveland didn't. Indiana ran fast. Cleveland didn't. It was at that 98-80. It looked like it was a it was a blitz, right? It looked like the young, young, hungry upstart team was taking it to the old crusty vets, right? Um, so that's how the series started. They started very, very strong. I mean, Oladipo was not not afraid. Uh, game two was a nail brighter. Um, pardon me. Cleveland built a big lead and held on. Um, Love looked terrible, but it got just enough to win game two. And then things got just got pretty chippy, right? So the series went 2-2. Two, two. Um, did it go? It went, it well, went game seven, two, it? just quickly on game two, that was the game when Oladipo got into foul trouble. And this was one of the, the sort of contentious things that came out. And Nate McMillan, I think, similar to Dwayne Casey in that, yes, he had a very good regular season. Um, yes, he's quite right in coach of the year conversations, but he did not coach a good playoffs and then there, that that was one of the areas where you know a couple of ticky touch fouls against Oladipo early in that game he took him out and it's like this is a guy that doesn't foul out generally so why not just leave him in let him play through it it's too important the game if you go 2-0 up in that game it's almost series over I don't care you know obviously you've got LeBron James on the other side of the ball but it's it would be very difficult for Cleveland to come back given that uh, the next two games were going to be in Indiana 
Yeah, that's fair enough. So, look, I saw games, probably the best, I thought the best two games of the series were games four and game five, right? The the, the game four where just Oladipo just couldn't make a shot. Um, but game four was the one where, uh, so Cleveland was up 2-1, and this was back in Indiana, right? And this was the one where Lance Stevenson does just the the good part of Lance Stevenson was a beast, and he changed. He, he was doing everything right to try to try and get under LeBron's skin. So we had one of those moments. We had a Lance game where the the iconic play. If Indiana had won the series, this would be a play you'd read about. It'd be on postcards and T-shirts and you know bobbleheads forever. Was uh, in the heat of the fourth quarter, and, and Lance is playing crunch time. Lance is just chesting up and bashing LeBron, and LeBron's trying to back in and shoulder him, and Lance ain't having any of it. Lance is pushing back on everything, and Lance goes and ties LeBron up and gets it and forces a jump ball and lets out this guttural roar, you know, like he'd given birth to a dragon, <laughs> and holds the ball up over his head, you know, like he's, you know, the Statue of Liberty, and just holds it up like he'd ripped the heart out, and he's showing it to the crowd, and the crowd goes fucking crazy. Now, granted, that's a game that Cleveland won by one point. Indiana just couldn't get anything, couldn't get anything to go. Um, and this is one of those games where we're gonna, LeBron got nothing from his from his supporting cast. Um, so that was a very well. He very did get two big shots from Corver late. That was Cor- pretty much the two, it. The, good point. The two Corvers one basically, I sort of said basically saved the season. Mm. If Corver doesn't drill those two threes, um, then this is a, a totally different series, right? It could have definitely been. Indiana well, that's where Windhorse said he he could see LeBron checking out, like checking out the way he did yes. in Cleveland the first time, checking out the way he did Game Five against San Antonio in 2014 in Miami. Like he was ready to just say, "This team's not good enough. I can't win with this team." And they were obviously been down three one at that point, and then Corver just hits two ridiculous series and basically saves their season. The way I described it, now that you reminded me, the way I described it was the. Um, I felt like this, this feels like LeBron almost sending a message to the owners and the GM, like he wants them to see what what basketball looks like <laughs> when he's surrounded by crappy players, and then you know when they roll over and trade stars like Kyrie Irving. That's what I. That's what it felt like. So you're right. So Windsor said checking out, but I've actually felt it was almost LeBron strategically, you know, sending a message to you know almost like. Almost like, hey, owners, you need to see this. I want to stand. Let's everyone take Polaroids and slow still shots of this moment of how awful basketball is when you don't surround me with a team. This is what it's like when you trade away Kyrie Irving for one-legged Isaiah Thomas. So disinterested stroke, disengaged. I, I still, LeBron's way too old and way too proud, in my view, to just go disinterested. I that's my gut, Daz, and I don't have any data because I wasn't in the locker room, but that's what it felt like. It felt like, you know what? Bleep this. All right, motherfuckers, you're going to give me Jordan Clarkson and, and Jose Calderon. Fuck, okay. You just watch. You just watch. Almost, but he can do that, right? So Cleveland won that game. Corver bailed him out. He can do that. <laughs> he's got the clout to do that. James Harden, when he sort of says, you know, whatever, he gives us game six from last year. So... Mm-hmm. We'll get into the Harden, LeBron, no doubt, ad, ad nauseum later. But um, anyway, probably too much about the nuances of those games. But it was a, there were points in that series when we, I felt Cleveland was going to die. I did. I felt that they could have, I felt like it, the season could have, well, they got the, the big goaltending call in Game Five, which was a bit contentious. I, I thought it was a. It was clearly a goaltend on the replay, but it was a tough call for the officials in in the moment. It was a it was one of those ones where oh, Oladipo yeah. hit the backboard first, and LeBron blocked it. Tough one for Indiana to take, and of course, if they make if if they make that shot, they probably defend the next shot differently because I think Thad Young thought LeBron was going to uh, drive, and LeBron pulls up for the three uh, to win Game Five. So that that was, um, and I think that was the last second as well, or he might have left a little bit of time on the clock. Uh, for Indiana to come back and try and put up a three uh, at the end of that one. 
And then from game five, we went to game six. Indiana tracked them again. Indiana were actually plus 40 in this series. That's how big they won games one and um, six in particular. And then game seven, Daz, I know I got up and watched this. This was a 3 a.m. start in Australia. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this was a really good game, um, for, particularly for a game seven where you, you expect there's going to be some nerves. But Indiana just made too many mental errors, like you know, just silly things like Sabonis fouled George Hill on the three, and George Hill hadn't actually played much in this series. He wasn't even playing in this game. And then late in the third quarter, uh, when they were when the Indiana were coming back, Indiana actually took the lead, and Tyloo went to George Hill and put George Hill in the game. And then Tristan Thompson, who we hadn't seen much of, he came out and played a big game seven. And LeBron said after the game, he said, it felt like a game seven. He said that this was just balls to the wall. And that's why he said he wanted Tristan Thompson, George Hill, uh, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith, the guys, and, and Corver, of course, the guys that had been there before with him that he knew he could trust uh, in the playoffs. And um, they just they had just enough to get over the line because Oladipo was spectacular in games six and seven, despite his struggles in games four and five. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't get up at 3 a.m., so that's, you reminded me. No, it's right. That's why I, I was like, why didn't I watch Game 7? Because I'd, I'd, got, I'd gotten so invested in that series. That's right, it was 3 a.m. I mean, what's the biggest surprise to you? I mean, we're going to talk about Donovan Mitchell later, but would you say, between these three, Donovan Mitchell, Victor Oladipo, who I now think is probably a top-10 player in the NBA, or what the Pels have done with Drew Holiday and Raja Rondo in their backcourt? I mean, what, what what's the biggest surprise to you out of those three? From a pl- in the playoffs perspective, from yeah, the, from, from the, the playoffs. playoffs, from what we've seen in the playoffs, so I guess Vic continuing his rise um, and and legitimising, I guess the regular season he had. Well, the surprise, the biggest surprise actually would be the Pels sweeping Portland. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go there now, but that that for me was the biggest surprise. Not just that it happened, but that the how it happened. It happened. Yeah. yeah, the way it happened. So. Um, yeah, so Oladipo. So we, but we've seen this Oladipo all season. That's why I'm saying we've seen this Oladipo. I think Mitchell's gotten better. He's not been. He's been a little bit inefficient in the playoffs, but there's been a again there's a maturity we've seen from from Donovan, and he's won. He's won a series in the way Oladipo hasn't. Right. Mm. So I'd say he's even stepped up further. I think Oladipo was exactly the same. The Oladipo, he was ice, ice, ice cold. So when he's the only option, that's it. Well, that's why Utah's a better team than Indiana, just in that regard. So Oladipo went ice cold, and I think it was game five, just couldn't throw it in the ocean. Now, if that was happening with Donovan Mitchell, you get Joe Ingles going crazy, or Rubio's had some great moments, and you know Rudy, Rudy can get going. And I love how Quinn's used... Rudy and Favors going inside, and even Royce O'Neal every now and again can throw you some points. So much to my surprise, Donovan's had some more supporting cast around him. But um, in terms of surprises, for sure, New Orleans. Oh, do you mm. want to talk about that now, or do you well, we'll want to close that down. out? We'll, we'll close out the yeah. East. We'll, we'll move on to the Celtics-Philly game. Uh, there were some great tweets I just read a bit earlier about the, the game today, as uh, Boston have gone up 3-0 in this series as well and um, Zach Lowe said that tanking teams next year will be watching footage of how Philly closed the game out today just for tips on how to make sure they lose <laughs> because yeah. I've never seen, that. That's, it would have to be the worst loss playoff loss I can remember seeing in, in many, many a long day That has to be heartbreaking Yeah, so this is the so this is now Boston 3-0, three, three as you said, but this was the just awful turnover after awful turnover. And even the points Philly was was scoring was that, you know, that crazy J.J. Redick off of one foot, you know, falling out of bounds and Bellinelli off of one foot falling out of bounds. So even the, even the offense they did muster were a couple of ridiculous. This isn't LeBron James shooting fadeaway. This is ridiculous, like... These are 10% shots, right, to go in. Um, so they just couldn't execute, and they turned the ball over. And uh, you heard me gripe on it in real time is that you saw Simmons on the inbounds play. I think it was tied, right? He inbounds it into Embiid, and Embiid plants his feet. Rather than run and you take another step to grab the ball, he just stops, and the defender kept going. It must have been Horford, right? It was Horford, yeah. Stole them. It, was, it just... There was nothing wrong with that pass. You know, Bean just stopped. These little, 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 
little little tiny things. If Embiid literally steps forward another foot or two feet to get the ball another half a step, he no doubt secures that pass, and we're having a different, maybe a different conversation. So these lots of little things, but again, this is who they are, right? We, we saw them win games in the first round with 27 turnovers. You know, but you can beat Miami when turn it over 27 times when it's Miami. You know, that they're not going to beat this Boston team. So, look, this is another fan base. Like, Toronto's fan base has just been so beaten down um, the last several years, and they probably have an inferiority complex after losing to LeBron. By by contrast, right, the, the hyperbolic hubris and bravado <laughs> coming out of Embiid and, and, the, and all of the 76er nation leading up to the playoffs and certainly leading into this series has been off the charts. And so, God, this, you know, they're going to eat a gigantic pile of crow and it's, this has to hurt, right? When it's bleeping Boston. This is a, this is a hated rivalry, right? These two teams do not like franchises, not these two particular teams with the franchises, right? Philly hates losing to the Celtics. So this has got to hurt and it's got to sting. And, yeah, you just don't want to lose a playoff game like this. Well, they lost two in a row like this, really, because they led by 21 in game two and basically threw that away uh, with just some terrible basketball. They oh, gave that up in yeah. literally five minutes of basketball, that, that lead, and then couldn't execute down the stretch. Ben Simmons was uh, just inexplicably One point. bad in, One in game point. two. Um, I, mean, and we, we, I compared him to early career LeBron but I think he was a little bit worse than that even but just very tentative in his own head basically just would, was bringing the ball up to the logo and then just passing it to JJ Redick and then going and standing in the corner of yeah. just it was unbelievable to watch and in the end Brown sat him on the bench and TJ McConnell brought them back into the game um, that's right and McConnell's actually outplayed him in the in the series so far McConnell's been better, and then the plus-minus bears it out, but the eye test bears it out, Daz, and I never thought I'd be saying that heading into this series. Well, it's like I've, it's like I've been calling Joel Embiid his whole, you know, whatever. Has he played 90 games yet? His 90-game career. He's a front-runner. When things get hard, he's off. When things get hard, he's terrible. He wilts. He's a front-runner. And I go, this is their personality. That Philadelphia had a 22-point lead against Boston in the second round of the NBA playoffs does not surprise me, nor does it the fact that they blow it. That's who they are. They've been doing that all season. That's just what they do. They don't have four quarters, a 48-minute team. They don't have enough temp- they don't have the temperament. They don't have enough veteran leadership. They just don't have the roster for it. They get you know, individual pieces of brilliance, and you know, I think Brett Brown is probably by many measures a, a really good coach. I'm going to give that guy a gigantic long leash for the years he had to endure, right? Mm. So, but um, but just some of the stuff that they do, and the, the we, I was reminded today that they they have more passes per possession, more passes than any team in the NBA, and it's actually quite by by a wide margin. That ball is flying around, so it stands to reason perhaps that they turn the ball over more. That's just flying around and handoffs and pocket passes and all kinds of different stuff. So I just I start to wonder, God, I guess the theory, right, of, of ball movement, you know, balls, the ball moves faster than, than, than people's feet do, sure. But I just wonder if that's the style that's going to suit this team, especially if Fultz grows up. So I just start to wonder, and I get these little moments, I go, God, if they could just calm the fuck down for a while and can't Brett doesn't Brett have another gear for this team you just well, want them to and that's what happened when they Boston don't came back. yeah it, there was no stage where Ben Simmons said or someone said we're just going to slow yeah. the game down pound the ball a little bit even you know, in, in situations like that even if you pound the ball for 20 seconds and chuck up a brick that's a three and misses that can sometimes be more helpful than just continuing to try and play the way you are, turning it over, and then um, Boston are going down the other end. Yeah, just some different sets, right? Or uh, like you're suggesting, like maybe why isn't there the, you know, the old Della Vadova, the, the TJ McConnell, you know, the, the, give me some old all old white guy lineups with the McConnell, Urson, Bellinelli, JJ Redick, and Amir freaking Johnson or something. I don't even know if he's on the team anymore. What team is Amir Johnson on? 
Yeah, he's well, I think if Jared Bayless was fit, he might be the guy you'd bring in. And just <laughs> say, actually, honestly, just run a proper yeah. NBA offense for a little bit. Yeah. And, and, you know, a more standardized NBA offense rather than what, what we're trying. Because even yeah. McConnell, he plays on fast forward all the time as well. So sometimes it's, it's, yeah. it's working, sometimes it doesn't. Fultz has done the same thing since he came in. So, but two little two little points I want, don't want to lose about today's game was the – I found this in real time. I couldn't believe it happening as it occurred. I think I, I texted you on it and I go, did Brad Stevens just from the sideline call a timeout in the middle of possession – as his team was about to perhaps throw up a junky shot, and he did. Mm. He caught them in the middle of a possession that kind of got, you know, just kind of got messy and sloppy for them, which they're, they're, they're one to do. Calls a timeout, I think it was six or seven seconds left on the shot clock, and then I forget what he drew up. It must have been, a, I think it was a Horford He drew up the post play. to Horford under the ring. Law to, yeah. to Horford, yeah, it was just spectacular. So just he had two of those today, two times in the middle of a possession, recalls a timeout because he could sense, right? He was, he knew in that moment, in the exact moment as it's happening, that he had enough timeouts to do it. It was a good time to do it. It was a, so critical. It was, a good, it was uh, willing to burn it. And then to execute coming out of timeout, that even after the game, Horford said, Brad Stevens is a genius. He goes, he's a super genius for doing what he did at the moments when he did it. So the, the trust that, that that reinforces with his team to call your coach a genius Right for putting them in position to succeed, and I go that last play, which had my jaw hitting the floor. This one you're talking about, we called the timeout, got it into Horford on a mismatch. There was a switch, so he had Rocco on him, and he's kind of backed him in, and in a not easy, but a you know pretty high percentage shot to go in. As that was occurring, Joel Embiid's back was to mid court, and he was out beyond the three point line. So I don't know what mysticism happened. I didn't see the full. I didn't see the movement or what sort of screens were being set, but how Joel Embiid gets drawn up to basically 30 feet from the from the basket when there's five seconds on the shot clock is is remarkable. So I'm going to give more of that a testament to Stevens and the way that play was called and executed than I will sort of bash you know Embiid or Brown or for whatever their their defense was set. Well, I think so Stevens has shown in the first two rounds the value of coaching. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he won the chess match against an unarmed opponent um, or an intelligence quest against an unarmed opponent in the first round. Uh, and then this, this yeah. round, I mean, Brett Brown has said he's trying to let the players play through it. That's one of the reasons he didn't call a timeout. When, they, yeah. when Boston went on the run. So they've got to take their lumps. They're still a young team, Philly. I, don't, I, I wouldn't be getting too um, high or low given what, what's happened um, in this series. Well, it's obviously disappointing, though, to see a just, team that's clearly more talented than Boston in terms of the personnel on the court and just throwing games away. Well, they're a young team. I, I, that, I think that's a that, that doesn't really hold merit anymore. Terry Rozier and Jason Tatum and... Jalen Brown, these aren't old guys. They're playing gigantic no, minutes. No, that's a good point. So I'm, I'm kind of going, you know what? And plus, this Boston team, in my view, this is probably the worst Boston Celtics team we're going to see in the next four seasons. I think this is the worst they're going to be. Imagine another year of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and a healthy Kyrie and a, and a Gordon Hayward plus whatever assets they had. I think this is going to be the worst version. So if I was Brett Brown, I think I would be trying to do everything in my power, even if that meant doing whatever that means, sitting in beat or sitting Simmons or whatever to try and win these games. I'm not saying he's not. I just don't think I would like it if indeed his mentality is, quote, these guys have to play through it. I think that is, that's a developmental sort of mindset, not round two of the playoffs kind of mindset when you're they're the three seed, remember, Daz? Plus Boston's, Boston's injured. Toronto is the the dead one seed, and they basically, and LeBron still has, right? As I, as I just reminded myself, there were moments when Cleveland's season felt like it was probably going to end because their cast is so flawed, and now it just so happens they're here. They are three days, three games later, and they're going to, you know, basically go into the finals. So maybe Philly doesn't have the the tools or the assets to, to to get, you know, to do that. I just. I think they're going to look back, could look back on this series and really kick themselves for not being able to do something. Well, I no doubt they'll have a long off season to think about. They actually thought they'd won today when when Bellinelli hit the shot. I, I, it clearly looked a two to me, but um, everyone on the sideline, Brett Brown said he went back to the locker room. He thought that it was a three and it was game over. 
So, but uh, yeah. he was clearly inside the line. Then, of course, they released the confetti. Uh, so um, they had to wait Brutal. about five minutes. And then Philly actually took the lead in the overtime today uh, and then continue, just continued to make bonehead play after bonehead play and miss layups. And, and Simmons missed the dunk with four minutes to go in regulation. Oh. It was wide open. It was just, it was horrific to watch. It really was horrific to watch. Just on the, the other point about coaching, and this is a, and this is a, Again, it's a dark art and psychology and physiology and game strategy. But I, I saw this when Embiid was gassed. And the uh, Hubie Brown kept reminding us, was it Hubie today? No, the other announcers, no. the, others, the other group, um, the ABC group. It was Doris. Was saying, yeah, that, yeah. Doris, yeah, Doris and what's his name. were reminding us that right, Embiid just doesn't have the stamina. He He's only been playing back-to-back since February, mm. right? So he just doesn't have... He doesn't have the the stay power. The other guys, he's gassed. All right, this is a physical, physical game. So he was just bashing chesting with Aaron Baines the whole time, and Al Horford's defense was freaking all NBA again today. It was remarkable. But Embiid is working and working and working in the post and taking a physical beating. So he's gassed. And I saw it was with two and a half minutes to go in the fourth or three and a half minutes to go. And Brown wants to quick get him out and get him a, probably a quick suck, like a minute, probably, probably a minute or 90 seconds on the clock. And get him, get him fresh, get some fresh air, right, and you know, juice him up and getting in. And Embiid refused. He got to the bench, was basically screaming at Brown, pleading. You could see him kind of like just animated with his hands going, he just uh. incredulous, inconsolable about going to the bench. And sure enough, goes right back into the game. And what happens when he goes back into the game? Two consecutive possessions, Tatum and then Brown back-to-back, almost uncontested layups when he wasn't able to get over and um, and it wasn't like he was pulled out to the three-point line. He wasn't able to get over and and close on it. And, of course, on the other end, he'd had a bit of a a post move that didn't work. The point of my story was the, the, the interesting point is Brown having the coach pulls him out and then lets the player influence him to go back in the game. And I go, that's that's one of those, again, where the psychology plays and the trust plays with your player versus what you think you know is right as the coach. And second, was he second-guessing himself? Would you say he's trying to back his guy? Maybe both of those things are true. That's a tough, that was a really, really tough part of the game to be doing to be doing that and not trusting your instinct as a coach. So mm. no doubt he'll have, he'll, he might lose some sleep over that. Was that the reason they lost the game? Probably not. Probably not, but it certainly didn't help when it went to overtime and Embiid didn't have a rest, rest at all except for, you know, the little confetti mop-up. So anyway, there's little moments in the game where you get a glimpse into how the player and coach interact, and I just didn't like how, again, lots of players don't want to come out of the game. I just didn't like, again, how Embiid handled it. And I was surprised. I was really surprised. Yeah, um, look, I think there was game. 20 different reasons they lost that game. But the, the main thing is Boston don't make mental mistakes. Philly do. And another quick, quickly to go back to Cleveland as well, the the lack of turnovers from LeBron and Cleveland has been stunning in this, these playoffs. Um, they had a few more today than normally, but they had three in Game 2 against a very good defensive team in Toronto. And they had zero to half time in Game 7 against the Pacers as well. So, uh, And I think they ended up with three or four in that game. They have been unbelievable in terms of taking care of the basketball. And that's something the Philly, to put it mildly, have not done so far in the playoffs. Cleveland's offensive rating in that game was 145 or 148. <laughs> it was remarkable. It but yeah, LeBron, I think, was 29-2, and two, 29 assists to two turnovers yeah. in the first two games. And then today, a whole different story. So today was you know, obviously very... Very winnable. He was setting seven assists and five turnovers today. And one of them came late, as I said, when he did get a little bit better. Yeah, Yeah, um, he was a bit tired. Go back to the first round just quickly. Boston, of course, took seven games to beat Milwaukee. I watched game seven. I never felt Milwaukee were really in it. They they certainly got a tough whistle in Boston, which we probably expected. Um, Another case, I think, where Milwaukee had the more talented players, but Boston just a little bit too smart, a little bit too savvy uh, for the Bucks at the end of the day. It was a, a series where the home team won every game. So in the throes of the series, it was probably more dramatic than it actually was, you know, to go game seven. But game seven was never really in the balance. Boston ran out to a big lead, and they were never seriously challenged. That lead never really got below 
you know, like eight points or seven points. It was always about three or four position game. So, yep, that was a, you know, Giannis played really well. Um, the supporting cast didn't play well enough around him. Bud so was particularly horrible and he had this fun little, you know, um, you know, juvenile, uh, you know, mano a mano sort of, uh, I guess, whatever, match against Terry Rozier for the whole series. So that was, you know, modestly interesting well, I thought for play at all NBA level. He was outstanding in that series. Middleton literally set records for shooting. He was the first player since he and Reggie Miller, the only players in, in playoff history to play at least seven games in the playoffs and do something. I forget it was and I'll shoot, shoot 60% from three point line and have a true shooting percentage of 75 with 73 or something like that. So was, he was literally on fire for seven games. And I, that's, it probably signals the typical Bucks season, right? Where Giannis was Giannis, and his running mate was spectacular, and they still couldn't beat a team missing its two best players, right? Or arguably two of its best, two of its best three players, anyway. The way Horford's played this season, so one interesting series, but not a ton of drama. And look, there was some, yeah, you know, there was a few whistles in that series, but again, the whistles didn't really, and it really changed the outcome of that series. Um, so. The, the the highlight of that series was game was it game one yeah game one yeah, with game all the, one that was the, the one back to back to back three pointers yeah yeah the the Brogdon hits the big three then Rozier hits the big three to take a three point lead then Chris Middleton off a non-existent play call hits that thirty five footer literally with point eight or something like that less than a second sent it to overtime so that was the most exciting part of the whole series was that you know the the back to back to back threes um, with 10 seconds to go in regulation. So, um, yeah, not, not Boston learned. I think Boston probably learned a lot about themselves though. Um, is could they, you know, I bet they would have some confidence questions and the, for large parts of that series to be, to give Bucks a little credit, Boston looked terrible. Their offense, right. Again, Milwaukee's length, you know, gives them trouble. So the, the, the Middleton and the Middleton Giannis, um, for as badly as Snell played on offense, the Middleton Giannis Snell uh, defenses are pretty effective against that team. So Boston had to work for every bloody point in that series. Uh, on the again, aside from the occasions when Rozier or Tatum is just you know, drilling threes, but um, Marcus Smart, you know, came back. He missed I think the first couple games of the series, so he'd been out for probably a month or so. Yeah, he played the that last point. three games of the series. Was it the last three or the last five? Yeah, I forget what it was. I think it was the last three, right? Last three, he was yeah. a fact. He was a positive factor. I would say he's, he was a net negative on offense for sure. He was turned the ball over a lot and forcing things, as I was hoping for, and I got that from him. He was forcing it, trying to make his mark. But he was a factor on defense and just from an energy perspective, and you know, taking a few probably not so great minutes away from you know Shemiel Jule or Shane Larkin. So um. Yeah, that was a. I think for the rest of the NBA, that probably wasn't a terribly compelling series. You know, from a Bucks perspective, it was you know, hey, if we beat Boston, yay, we beat the team missing their two best players, and but, you know, that obviously would have been superior to losing it. Um, they, so they well, made a. I'll tell you, looking at the way Philly have crapped the bed since then, Milwaukee might be wondering about missed opportunities, Daz. Oh, we are, of course, but again, the the, the Bucks season was 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 determined when they fired Jason Kidd when you go into an offseason bungled the GM job and they we learn after the fact they wanted to probably make a change with the head coach just didn't do it for whatever reason and then made that change mid-season and Prunty um I won't go on everyone's already joking about Prunty and all the all the punditry and all the podcasts he's he did not coach a very good series to say the least um had more deer in the headlights moments had a couple of things that he did well but you know he was he was outclassed, to say the least. So yeah. that wasn't a terribly, even though it went seven games, that game seven was really anticlimactic. Yeah, you do wonder if, if Milwaukee end up pulling that game one out, uh, how things how things do pan out. Um, and Agreed. Just on yeah. Middleton, he shot 61% from three uh, for a seven-game series. So that's, oh, I don't know if that's going to be Burton again any time. On high so. volume as well, yeah. yeah. It was minimum five-tenths a game, 60%, and then 70-plus percent true shooting him and Reggie Miller, the only players in history. So yeah, yep, little, little, little feather in his cap. Um, but uh, yeah. 
And the oh, other the series ser- was uh, Philly Miami, and uh, really the only highlight of that series was Dwayne Wade turning the clock back in Game Two with 26 points. And apart from that, it was a very, very comfortable uh, Philadelphia yeah. win in five games, which um, I kind of expected. I mean, I, I could see the the argument for Miami. They're a little bit like a one-paced horse, Miami. They, they, they don't ever play that good. They don't ever play that bad. But um, Philadelphia just had a little bit too much for them. Um, yeah. They sort of went on their 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 runs. Um, Miami. Th- th- this is the thing with Philly when they have a bad stretch of basketball like they did in game two against Boston you've got to be able to take advantage and I just don't think you know when you're losing games and the opposition has 27 turnovers like Miami did and I think that was game three of that series uh, you knew they were in big trouble and that one was over so we might leave the Eastern Conference there Daz well Um, you just have I guess I don't want to spend too much time on it either because it was perhaps you're forgetting the most dramatic the most drama filled team in all East is is the Wizards right so Toronto you're probably erasing it from your mind, but the Toronto, uh, the Raptors whiz series went to six games and it was a point there where John Wall did some good things, but that, then they just, they collapsed as well, you know, in game. Well, they quit in game six. They quit. Oh, they, they quit. That game. Um, yeah, they did. John Wall wasn't in like, you just see a team in the huddle and they're either, they're sweet. Yeah, they're, they even hate today, each other. Like, the Raptors were all in, and even DeRozan, who was out, he wasn't there just pouting. Like, he's in the huddles. They're still together, the Raptors. You know, whether that's going to be the case in Game 4, we'll wait and see. But, you know, Game 6 at home, and at this stage, they were they were down, not completely out, but you've got Beal and, and Kelly Oubre were over talking, and Don Walls are sitting there looking miserable by himself. Scott Brooks nowhere to be seen within the huddle. And it was just like... This team's gone. This this team has quit, uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I, th- I think Scott Brooks is. All, they've already said Scott Brooks will be back next year. But gee, the clock's going to be ticking on his time there. You would have to think, and, and John Wall's time potentially. Well, and, and much to the horror of Wizards fans, it, it came known a couple of days ago that um, Ernie Grunfeld got a head of contract extension. <laughs> no, that's not a joke. I'm not actually joking. Um, Wizards reportedly extended President Ernie Grunfeld's contract last oh, yeah. fall. Really had quietly done it, so he's he's <laughs> locked and loaded. He's that's, he's never gotten the team out of the first round, but sure, why not? Fifteen years he's been there. He, ever since he sent Ray Allen off for a bag of chips in Milwaukee and destroyed that franchise, this you know oh, he's extended. Man. That's not that's actually that's literally what I just it came out a couple of days ago. Well, that's the so future's bright in Washington. <laughs> Oh, that would be a fun off season. Is which team is in the which playoff team is in the worst shape? That will be a fun podcast. Well, see, I, look, right. I was high on the Wizards coming in this year, but no, they've they been one of the big disappointments. Oh, so, given that we went a bit longer than we probably thought we would, we're going to now pass this one over to a part two. Uh, we just finished talking about the Eastern Conference Round Two playoffs, but we are going to move on to part two where we talk about the Western Conference Round Two of the playoffs. <laughs> 